Hello and welcome to Under the Skin. This week I spoke to Andre Jeek. Andre is a successful financial YouTuber with nearly 1.5 million subscribers. His content focuses on cryptocurrency investing and achieving financial freedom. I wanted to talk to him because I've started doing content about Bitcoin on my YouTube channel, which you should subscribe to. And I wanted to talk to someone who would give me a better understanding of cryptocurrencies, how they operate, specifically Bitcoin. If you'd like to listen to this podcast in its totality and a great catalogue of content and other material from people like Trevor Noah, Dave Chappelle, Lena Dunham, then you can subscribe to Luminary, the platform that hosts it, for as little as $2.99 a month with their annual plan, plus a seven-day free trial to get started. Also, I've got a brand new meditation podcast called Above the Noise, out now. Every week, I do a new guided meditation so uh, this, as yet, this isn't available in all markets and is, of course, subject to local currency. Terms apply. In this section, what section did we use? The, when you talk about China and the power they have over cryptocurrency or not. I haven't listened to this. See what you think. Oh, hold on. Before we do that, go and get Revelation, my Audible, uh, my Audible original. It's a very good book. It's excellent, I think, and you'll like it too. If you ain't signed up, to, if you ain't signed up, if you ain't signed up to the mailing list, if you ain't signed up, if you ain't signed up to the mailing list, sign up to the Alliance Click mailing list. Go to russellbrand.com and have a listen to all of my look at my all my YouTube content. Some deep stuff going on on YouTube. Sign up to that and to the side channel stuff. And if you're not meditating yet on Above the Noise, which you have access to right now, you could go there, meditate now, then listen to Andre Jeek or meditate afterwards with Above the Noise. That's all of my promo done. Now let's get into Andre Jeek. Jeek. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the skin. And I've been trying to understand cryptocurrencies, mostly, I suppose, from a sociological and political perspective, i.e. are cryptocurrencies a way of, of bypassing or subverting conventional power or are they already to some degree beholden to conventional or traditional power structures? That's sort of, I suppose, where I'd like to start. But if you saw the video I already made on YouTube, you'll know the yeah. level of awareness I'm operating at. A child's level, literally using <laughs> children's content to understand it. Well, sure. Let me ask you, do you have Bitcoin yourself? Do you own any? No. Some people think I do because Max Kaiser at some point said that he'd given me some Bitcoin. And me and the people that, that I still work with, that I was working with at that time, go, did he? Did he? And then some of us think, oh, maybe there was some Max coin or something like that. Like he had his own one or whatever. And like we even went so far as to sort of almost berate ourselves for having let go of it. But we're pretty sure that if he gave us anything at all, because there was a physical embodiment, by the way, there was some token. Um, if he gave us anything at all, it was a um, some kind of uh, deviation from that, potentially his own brand, which I'm pretty sure I remember him having. In any event, whatever it was, I ain't got it anymore. So I've got no cryptocurrencies. Should I get some? Yeah, I think you should. Well, I, I will say that thank you for... for Thinking that I'm a Bitcoin expert, I don't think I am. I just have a big following on YouTube <laughs> and that there are far smarter people than I am in the crypto space. But if Max Kaiser wasn't able to convince you, <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to. <laughs> so I'll do my best. But I do think it is, it is a way to subvert the traditional financial system. 
And I guess the biggest argument against it is centralization, right? Is it already centralized and owned by the billionaires and the big influencers and the banks maybe? And I think in order to understand the answer to that question, you have to look at Bitcoin in terms of its five pillars, right? There's actually five different aspects to Bitcoin that make it decentralized because centralization lies on a scale. It's not like a binary, yes, it's decentralized or, or yes, it's centralized. So the first pillar of that, I guess, of Bitcoin would be the miners, right? That's, that's, that's the one we all know. The, the people that are using their fancy computers, their ASICs, it's called ASIC chips, which are application-specific integrated circuitry. <laughs> right, it's well, just you basically... know that, the most basic one that we all know. That's where I be, it begins to become vague and foggy for me. Like, you know, like when it was explained to me, people are doing complex mathematical equations on their computers, racing against each other in order to yield Bitcoin. I just conceptually found that very... I found it something that sounds so literal, difficult to access as a sort of a metaphor or something that's happening in a cyber dimension. Yeah, I think we're trying to use uh, more analog terminology to make yeah. it a little bit simpler. But I don't think we're mining in the same sense as we're digging for gold. It's a completely different process. But so the first pillar is, you know, are the miners who are using their fancy computers to mine these Bitcoins. And right now they are making 6.25 Bitcoins at the rate of every 10 minutes. So every 10 minutes, there are 6.25 Bitcoins that are created in the space. And they are incentivized to keep the system secure and to keep it fair because they are getting these rewards. That's the first pillar of it. Now, there's a lot of criticism behind miners, like they're maybe evil or they're centralized in China or they're owned by really wealthy people and they, people can shut them down. So uh, I don't know if you do you have that concern. Did you look into that with miners? Well, I can see that anything that is superficially independent could actually be corralled. And I, I can understand that principle. It's not something I've looked into. Okay. So, so, so miners, I guess, are, are one pillar of that, right? Another How pillar... many people are doing that? Do we know? Yeah, there's nine, around 9,600 what are called nodes mm. uh, on the system. So around 9,600, 9,600 individual entities that are using these computers to secure the network all around the world. And as far as we know, they're sort of operating independently. Well, the thing is, is uh, and, and this is a lot of the criticism that's coming out right now. I don't know if you saw, but there was news that just came out that China is trying to ban Bitcoin. And the price fell 25% today in a single day. And that's because a lot of people believe that Bitcoin is centralized to China. But the truth is, is that if you're a single miner, let's say I have these fancy ASIC computers, the odds of me and my computer solving a block and finding it to get my 6.25 Bitcoin reward is almost infinitesimally small. So in order to compensate for that, I have to join what's called a mining pool, which is a group of people that come together collectively to use their computing power to try to solve these blocks. That's the only way to increase your, your chance of, of becoming profitable. Otherwise, if you're by yourself, you're, you're, just, you're just paying for electricity. You're just not doing anything. And so when these miners release data as far as 
who's located where and 30% is coming from here and 40% is coming from there. The truth is, is here in Las Vegas, I can actually join, let's say Ant Pool. That's one of a, one of a, the largest Chinese mining pools. So I can join Ant Pool from here in Vegas and contribute to the hash power that is in China. And when these miners release their data, it looks as though it's all centralized in China. But the reality could be that there's people all over the world from, from China, from Germany, Switzerland, Russia, wherever they are, contributing to the security of this network. So that's kind of the difficult part of knowing where Bitcoin really actually is, is it's clustered. It's clustered, and I suppose because it is taking place in a non-geographical space, but at least in conventional terms, an abstract digital world, the geography is not super relevant. I mean, why why is it regarded as being sent? Why is that ant one regarded as being in China at all? Because one person is, because it's been registered there. What 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 is the significance of it even being registered in China? Yeah, the significance is that people are afraid that China will use its government governmental power to dictate policy. Maybe they'll shut miners down. Maybe they'll say, hey, guys, no more Bitcoin. So people are afraid that it seems as though China has a lot of power over Bitcoin. Does it is it possible that China could either either prevent it being spent in territories that it controlled or being created in territories that it controlled or both of those things? Just one of those things, just spent and used. They could try to prevent it. But the reality is miners, it, it's such a fluid concept that these people are not necessarily corporations. They could move anywhere they want because they're always financially incentivized to go to a place that suits them the best. So if I'm a miner in China and I have millions and millions of dollars of these computing, computer equipment, I could just move my stuff somewhere else and continue onward. So it's kind of a null point. China is not really that important in that case. What is the significance and necessity for the complex equation-based blockchain component? You know, because the thing that's most attractive about it for me is, oh, it's decentralized, it's outside of government control, it's outside of the normal financial markets and regulatory industry, and, and therefore, at least hypothetically, could be accessible to people that would usually be denied access. But couldn't you, by virtue of that, just have a finite, pool of resources that didn't was not backed by any kind of computer activity but was just an agreed upon bartering system i suppose what well, that would mean that you'd have to buy those units of currency with a real currency at some point and so it would therefore be tethered to a degree to real financial exchanges but like a, a lot of people obviously by definition are acquiring bitcoin in the same way that they would acquire any currency with you know a second or native currency so what is the importance and indeed necessity of the crypto component that mathematical bit the, the way that i understand it is it's because it's a way to control the supply and inflation of bitcoin so for example when uh, people are mining Bitcoin and there's a lot of miners, the difficulty of the network becomes extremely high. And this is to control people from not just extracting all the Bitcoins from out of the blocks all at once. Because the truth is, Bitcoin will be mined totally, 100% of it, in, in the year, I believe, 2140. So about 120, 119 years from now is when Bitcoin will be extracted from the network. 
And partially the reason for that is to control the supply of inflation. So it's a process of getting them. That suggests that it is not an abstract ideological thing, but there is a physical thing that's sort of finite and has a termination. Like which? Absolutely. What is that yeah, thing? But that the physical thing? Yeah, what is the thing that runs out? Why can't you carry on and do it for another 100 years? Well, because it's a limited fixed supply, right? Who's by, by virtue of what? Because gold is fixed, because eventually you've mined all the gold. There's no gold left now. That's the end of that. But That's not true. We can find gold on meteorites. So <laughs> this is the... <laughs> to come up with a concept to fi find something fixed in a finite supply is extremely difficult. Even in the world of gold, we're extracting it from somewhere and we can always find more what of it in the water? universe. about water? I mean, what you say, what rain or filtration... Sure. Are we talking about intrinsic value now? <laughs> well, no, we'll get to intrinsic value. But first I want to say, is is that okay. is that thing of it's going to run out of this date, is that an objective fact or is that a sort of a consensual decision that's been somehow made? It, it should be an objective fact because, like I said, when miners are mining the network and there's a lot of people, the difficulty increases. And the reality is, if people abandon Bitcoin, let's say tomorrow, 99%, every 10 minutes, the difficulty of those blocks readjusts. And so if there's nobody mining it, if there's less people, the, the difficulty decreases substantially. So it, again, financially incentivizes at least someone out there to continue extracting their coins. I see. So that keeps the game in motion. Who determines... Exactly. Like I know it's, I appreciate that it's probably a set algorithm that responds to usage, but who determined that original algorithm? Is this the mysterious nom de plume uh, creator <laughs> of it? If you're enjoying this conversation, join me over at Luminary for the rest of our discussion and for all the latest episodes of Under the Skin, go to luminarypodcast.com to start your free trial. See you there.